Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. fourth week of March. Crazy how fast time is flying. Um, I think it's in part just because life is moving quickly. But I think it's also, you know, just because of the the stuff we're going through right now with the coronavirus and, uh, you know, just we'll we'll get into some of that stuff. But um, time is just flying. And I've found that um, it's starting to get difficult because I've got so many episodes planned and I've got so much content but what's happening is I, f- I feel like I'm at the bottleneck of having to wait until I normally launch an episode. So when I first started the show, I just assumed that, you know, I didn't want to jump in too quickly and start doing an, an every week thing. And so I, I planned it out that I would do episodes every two weeks, uh, launching on Monday. And, you know, it's worked okay. Uh, but what I'm finding is that I actually have content ready to go and I want to start recording, but I know that if I, if I start talking about something that's going on that day or that week, even, um, that the minute I put it down and record it, uh, it's going to be obsolete. And so that's the problem I'm running into. And it's, it's really making me want to record more often and, and do stuff more in real time. You know, that way, when I talk to you, uh, it, it makes sense. You know, obviously, you know, people coming back and listening to uh, past episodes, it's not going to be as big of a deal. Um, But if you're keeping up with the show and and tuning in, you know, the minute uh, an episode is launched, you know, I really want that to be um, important and helpful, you know, given the circumstances that we're all going through. So, so I'm dealing with that, uh, but we'll figure it out. All right, well, let's jump into our minute of transparency for this show. And, you know, it's going to be about the coronavirus, of course. Uh, You know, things have really started to heat up. It's really starting to impact life in general, you know, just from the way we we live day to day to uh, the economy, to the way that, you know, businesses are run and whether they're open or closed, whether restaurants are actually seating people or whether they have to just, you know, hand things out the door to people as they come for takeout. You know, it's just, it's a whole different world. Um, I don't know how it is for you, where you're at, uh, but here in California, everything is pretty much shut down. Uh, My daughter came back from uh, college uh, because it shut down last week. Um, All of the schools in the area are shut down. Kids are all doing work from home. All the bars, restaurants, uh, you know, any anything in the community is asked to be shut down unless it's necessary to the normal functioning of society. Um, you know, in, in my mind, that means Starbucks should be open, um, but they just closed as well. So here we go. Um, in terms of work, we've all been asked to work remotely. Uh, last week and then uh, this week we just found out they're extending it for another week. Uh, the entire state of California is basically asking 
people to shelter in place. So definitely strange times. Um, the other crazy thing is if you choose to watch the news, you can almost count on the entire broadcast being about the coronavirus. It's like, you know, forget them talking about anything else. Um, you know, they'll throw some politics in there, but half the time the politics is about the coronavirus. So it is what it is. Um, but when I'm not working, when I'm not watching the news, I'm still keeping up with my podcasts. And uh, the other day I was listening to uh, the Portfolio Life podcast with Jeff Goins. And he had an episode he titled, This is About More Than Toilet Paper, Some Thoughts on the Coronavirus. A good episode if, you, if you're if you interested. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can head over there and subscribe to um, his podcast. It's really great. Uh, it's more focused on creatives, um, you know, writers and art artists, things like that, uh, and what, what life is like for those people. Uh, so if you're into that, head on over. Uh, but there were some good thoughts uh, in the episode. Uh, you know, he one statement he made was that crisis is the perfect time to create something new, to learn something, to start something. Uh, you know, the podcast being for creatives, obviously, um, makes sense that he would say that, right? That, you know, if, if you're stuck in home and you have nothing else to do, why not do something new? Create something, you know, put something out into the world that isn't already there. Uh, I think one of the things he was kind of pushing against was this concept of, oh, well, if we're all having to sit at home and shelter in place, well, I'm assuming we're just going to do nothing or we're just going to sit and uh, binge watch Netflix or something like that. So, so good word there uh, about using your time wisely. Uh, he also threw out there the concept of stop saying what if and instead start saying let's. So let's do this. Let's make something happen. Um, really good advice, you know, as not just in life, but uh, in, in this situation we find ourselves in, uh, having to be at home and and not be out doing our normal routines. So, yeah, so it was a good word uh, for me that listening to that last week. And, um, yeah, uh, so the entire, the entire thing has gotten to kind of a fever pitch. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we're all sitting around going, Hmm, I wonder what's going to happen next. Right. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see what happens this week. All right. Well, let's move into today's, to today's topic. Um, it's really about the importance of becoming a lifelong learner and knowing what to do with what you learn. So, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to be a lifelong learner, uh, one learning strategy, another learning strategy, and then why learning isn't just for you. So starting out, what is a lifelong learner? Well, it isn't rocket science. Obviously, if you, uh, you know, take the word apart, uh, you can figure it out just by looking at the words themselves. So a learner is somebody who chooses to learn a subject or skill. And the word lifelong uh, refers to a lasting or remaining throughout a something that lasts or remains throughout a person's lifetime. So you put those two words together and you have this idea that you don't just learn while you're in school. Um, you should always be learning new things until your dying day. Great concept. Um, the interesting thing is we really aren't taught that in school or at least not, you know, growing up. 
you're kind of taught that school is where you go to learn. And then once you get out, you start working and you live your life and that part of your life is over. So for me, uh, I went all the way from elementary school to, you know, even through a four-year degree in college, and I never really heard this this concept. It really wasn't until my master's degree that I started hearing teachers, you know, put that out there like, like this. They would say, uh, there's no way that we can teach you everything you need to know in order to be the best version of yourself. So we will give you the foundation. Uh, we'll teach you to be lifelong learners. And that was really the first time I'd heard that concept. Um, but once I, once I heard the definition presented and once I really heard them kind of push that concept, I realized, um, you know, that, that really is me, right? I, I look back at my life and I realized that that must be part of my DNA uh, because I had been doing it all along, uh, informally, but I had been doing it. So outside of school, um, I had always been the type who tried new things, learned new skills. Uh, I would research topics that I didn't fully understand so that I would, you know, have the ability to explain it to other people if I needed to, uh, before running my mouth about it and saying things that I didn't really understand. Uh, I also realized that it was very informal, like I said, and I, I decided once I reached my master's program and I, I kind of really heard a teacher say that and explain how important it was, I decided that, you know, maybe I should take that informal learning and informalize it a bit more and be a bit more intentional about the things I was learning. Now, before we get too far, I'm, I'm already hearing people say, well, okay, duh, I mean, that makes sense, but why is this important? Well, I think that there are kind of two categories of things that we can learn. So there are things that we are interested in and in adding to your overall kind of library of knowledge, uh, but they're typically one-offs, right? They're just, you know, not, not things that help you achieve or attain anything other than just that skill. And then there's things that are helpful to learn because they are puzzle pieces, uh, kind of in a larger plan to achieve or attain something bigger. Now, don't get me wrong, both are positive, like it's it's great to uh, move in the direction of, of both, but we need to direct the uh, a, a correct amount of energy, I guess, toward each one. So my recommendation, obviously, is to direct more time and energy toward the things that have an end game and a little bit less time toward the one-off things. So let me give, give you some examples of that uh, from my own life. So an informal um, learning for me at the, at the beginning, at one point for some reason I thought I needed to learn chess. I, I don't know why I was fascinated with it. So I, I bought a computer program, I did a bunch of research, I played games, I watched classic games, and I, I thought for some reason that it was just you know, it was going to become my thing, you know, just like some people get into golf and they play golf all the time. And, uh, you know, for me, it was chess at the time. And I just thought it was the greatest thing. Um, however, I realized after a while that the, the time commitment involved in order to become really good at chess was massive. And I did not want to spend that much time, um, getting into it. Right. So, and the other thing I realized is that there was no end game, right? 
I was just learning a skill. It was going to be a hobby, but really it wasn't going to help me attain anything larger than just learning how to play chess. And so I think when I came to that realization, I just stopped. Um, now I'll still play a friendly game of chess every now and then, but definitely not to the level that I thought I wanted to play at the time. So that's informal. Now a formal or more goal oriented learning um, I did was related to photography. So when my kids were old enough to start playing travel soccer, you know, we were, we were putting a lot of time and energy into the kids and taking them to practices, watching games, traveling to tournaments, all of that stuff. And so at some point, uh, I bought a camera and a nice lens and I, I started spending a lot of time and, and energy learning how to use it. So, you know, not just how to operate an expensive DSLR, but specifically how to shoot for sports, you know, and, and some of the ins and outs and nuances of shooting outdoor soccer. So, you know, it, it, on the outside, it might sound a lot like learning chess, right? I mean, you're just learning another skill. But when you think about it, the, the reason I didn't drop photography the way that I dropped chess is that it, it did hold a much higher level of significance and it, it helped achieve other goals uh, in my life as well. So, you know, using the new skills for photography, you know, I went on to take family pictures a few times. Um, I, I added Lightroom to my toolbox and really learned how to use Lightroom. Um, which, you know, really helps to take your photography to the next level. Um, uh, since then I've done headshots for my daughter and for one of her friends, just randomly. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of different applications to being able to do basic photography. Um, you know, I've, I've taken photos and then used them, uh, for web projects that I've, I've worked on. So a, a lot more than just, what I would have gotten out of learning chess. So two examples there, informal and formal learning. Now, I don't want to belabor the point, but it's, you know, it's pretty straightforward. But if, if you look into what it means to be a lifelong learner a little more in depth, um, you know, you can find lists of things, lists of examples of what a lifelong learner is or does. So I just found a random one uh, on lifehack.com. Uh, this article is by Oscar Nowick, 12 Powerful Habits of a Lifelong Learner. So according to Oscar, um, these are 12 things that somebody who is a lifelong learner will do. So number one, read on a daily basis. Number two, attend courses. Number three, seek opportunities to grow. Number four, uh, take care of their bodies. Number five, have diverse passions. Six, love making progress. Seven, they challenge themselves with specific goals. Uh, number eight, they embrace change. Number nine, they believe it's never too late to start something. Number 10, uh, they have an attitude of getting better, and it's a contagious attitude. Uh, number 11, they leave their comfort zone. And number 12, uh, they never settle down. So just an interesting list of, you know, kind of the attributes of, of what a lifelong learner might look like. Um, and again, I'll put that in the show notes if you want to read that article and, and spend a bit more time on that. Um, but just an interesting look at what, you know, some of those things that make up somebody who is in that process of learning 
uh, over their whole life. All right, number two, let's move into one learning strategy. So I've always kept this in the back of my mind. Uh, a long time ago, we attended a, a church service, I think, and, and a pastor was preaching about the importance of training your children. Um, and he, he threw out this strategy for training a child. And I thought it was, I thought it was really good. And it kind of fits into this topic we're, we're on today. So this is the concept. So it's four parts. Uh, the first is I'll do it and you watch. The second is I'll do it and you help. The third is you do it and I'll help. And then the fourth is you do it and I'll watch. Now, I couldn't remember for the life of me where, where he said he got the information. So I, I did some Google searches and I, I couldn't find the exact strategy. However, I did find a similar one. Um, so I found this article called the five step apprenticeship tool. Uh, it came from the book hero or hero maker actually by Dave Ferguson and Warren bird. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes as well. Um, but this one is a little more in depth and it plays out like this. So it says, number one, I do, you watch, we talk. Number two, I do, you help, we talk. Number three, you do, I help, we talk. Four, you do, I watch, we talk. And five, you do, someone else watches. So similar, um, just enhanced a little bit as this one is more, I guess, less about, you know, training a child and more about kind of an, uh, an apprenticeship model where you're helping a person learn how to do a, a specific skill or task. And then the hope is in, in number five, it's, they call it multiplication. So in, in number five, you're basically passing that on again to another person. So in both scenarios, the emphasis is set firmly on teaching, right? Passing down information or mentoring, if you will. Um, and it's great, right? It's, it's really cool stuff. So like if I walk back through, I'll go through the first four just, um, just to kind of finish up this concept. But so number one, I'll do it. You watch, right? So think back to when, if, if you have kids, think back to, you know, the very early days. Let's, let's use an example. Like, uh, you're going to teach a kid how to make mac and cheese. Okay. On the, on the stove. So you start out, you know, the stove is somewhat dangerous. You're dealing with fire and gas and, and all of that. So, you know, you start out by doing it for them and having them watch. And as you do it, you're telling them, you know, watch out for this, watch out for that. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. Um, then in number two, you still do it, but you let them help. So maybe they're, you know, measuring out the ingredients and maybe they're, um, actually turning on the stove with you so that they can see how it works. Uh, but, but you're basically still doing the physical steps for them. Uh, then in number three, you do it and I'll help, right? So you actually let the child do it. And as they're doing it, as they're turning on the stove, as they're pouring things into the, the hot boiling water, you know, you're, you're right there helping you know, in case something goes wrong or to just make sure that it continues to go the way it needs to go. And then finally, number four, you do it and I'll watch is when you back off and basically 
watch them do it um, and and probably say less, maybe ask a few questions, but you just let them do it and you're just there to watch. So it comes full circle, right? Where you're doing it and they're watching to they're doing it and you're watching. Um, really cool uh, uh, model there for, for teaching. Now, there's, there's really two levels um, that that applies to when it comes to teaching kids. Uh, it's situational, right? So if I were to teach a kid how to make mac and cheese, it's, it's that situation that I'm running through the whole process in. But then the cool part is that it's also lifelong for, for dealing with a, a child, right? So it, it starts out at the beginning of their life, and then, you know, number two and number three are kind of in the middle. And then as you get closer to 18, you better be close to number four or you're going to have problems. So, you know, when when you have a 17-year-old, they better be doing most of it and you better be watching. Otherwise, you're going to run into problems. If, if you have an 18-year-old and you're still at number two where you're doing everything and they're just helping then what's going to happen when they leave the house and they now have to make every decision for themselves, right? Okay. All right. Let's move into the next section. So, so that was one learning strategy. Let's talk about another learning strategy. Uh, this one isn't quite as formal as the one we just talked about, but I feel like it's no less effective. Uh, and there's a chance that this strategy is, you know, used in our lives even more often than the other. And why is that? Well, the, the first strategy we, look, we looked at was highly dependent on another person. Uh, very formal. It requires the other person to closely monitor what you're doing, watch your learning curve. Uh, there's a lot of interaction, and uh, both people need to be involved in order to make it work. Uh, but this other strategy is a bit more personal, uh, more of a, I guess I would call it an individual growth strategy uh, for lifelong learners. And it goes something like this. So number one, they do something, you watch. Number two, you copy what they did. Number three, you innovate on what they did. And then number four, somebody watches you do your thing. Okay, see the difference? So in this scenario, you aren't dependent on another person being so closely involved. In fact, they may never even know uh, that they inspired you or that you learned something from them, uh, you know, because it's kind of learning done from afar. So you simply watch something take place uh, and then you try to do it yourself. So at first, uh, you know, this, this is complete copying, right? Uh, you're trying to do the exact thing that the other person does or did. Uh, you know, the whole phrase, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? Uh, so in this process of trying to do what they do, um, over time you kind of get, you know, you get comfortable with the behavior or the uh, the specific thing that they do. And, and then once you're comfortable with what they did, then you begin to improvise or innovate or adjust, uh, kind of adding your personality into the mix, making it your own. And then when you've perfected your version of it, then another person will undoubtedly see you and probably start trying to copy what you do, right? So another cool scenario, but a little more interesting to me because, um, you know, as you move on in life, you know, you may not have some of that formal training 
uh, like you did back when you were a child. And so this really kind of kicks in and takes over for the lifelong learner, right? So uh, let me give you some examples of, of this. So writers are, are people that I feel like do this all the time, right? They typically read a lot. They find an author or a genre that they really love. Uh, and then they try writing similar stuff, right? But they innovate on it as they do, and then it stands out. Uh, in sports, you know, uh, think about all the young athletes who watch pro pro sports on TV, and they're they're fascinated by, you know, that amazing pro player and and how how great they are. You know, you think of the the Wayne Gretzky's and the Michael Jordans and, um, you know, John Elway's and Brett Favre's, all those great players over the years and you know we would sit and watch them play and then what would we do we would we would run outside and we would try to imitate what we saw them do so we practice those those moves over and over and over again and then somewhere in that uh practice you know we put a little twist on it we do something a little different and it becomes our own move and you know, just crazy how that how that works, both with writers and sports and, you know, many, many other areas of life, I'm sure. Um, so an example from my life, I guess back in uh, 1998, um, is when I kind of got into the whole web design and graphic design stuff. Uh, I noticed that people were creating some really crazy looking stuff using Macromedia Flash. And so... Um, you know, I was just, I was fascinated by it. And so I started researching it and I, I came across this guy named Joan Asmussen. Uh, at the time he was a designer in Denmark. Uh, and I, I just loved the way he used flash. And so, you know, I started watching what he did and I started, uh, you know, trying to figure out how he did what he did. Uh, and it was it was just an interesting time. Um, interestingly enough, Joan Asmussen went on to work for a company called Automatic, um, which was instrumental in, you know, little projects like WordPress.com, WooCommerce, Jetpack, Tumblr, just to name a few. Um, another fun fact: uh, if if you ever visit the uh, either the WordPress.com site or dig in a little deeper and learn more about the company Automatic. Um, automatic has this thing called the automatic creed and I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, when I came across this the other day, I was just shocked. I was like, this is brilliant. Um, so I just, I, I thought I would read it just to inspire, you know, you to keep learning. So this is the automatic creed. I will never stop learning. I won't just work on things that are assigned to me. I know there's no such thing as status quo. I will build our business sustainably through passionate and loyal customers. I will never pass up an opportunity to help out a colleague. And I'll remember the days before I knew everything. I am more motivated by impact than money. And I know that open source is one of the most powerful ideas of our generation. I will communicate as much as possible because it's the oxygen of a distributed company. I am in a marathon, not a sprint. And no matter how far away the goal is, the only way to get there is by putting one foot in front of the other every day. Given time, there is no problem that's insurmountable. Pretty cool, huh? 
sorry for the small tangent there, but um, I thought it was pretty pretty cool how that came full circle. Um, you know, following Joan Asmussen back in the day uh, with Macromedia Flash, and uh, just to see you know his his full circle learning and, and ending up with automatic and building WordPress. Uh, you know, I've spent hours in WordPress uh, building sites and uh, launching websites for people using the WordPress engine. Uh, so just really cool to see that. Um, but again, sorry for that. Uh, well, let's get back to the topic. So anyway, I saw his website back in the day and I knew that it was something that I wanted to do, right? So I, I bought Macromedia products, Dreamweaver, Flash, Fireworks, Freehand. Uh, and I just dove in head first and really started to play with uh, Flash and try to figure out how he did what he did. So following the model we talked about, which is they do something you watch. I had already completed that portion. Uh, number two, you copy what they did. So that's exactly what I did. I literally opened up Flash and I tried to recreate a website that uh, Joan had built and I tried to copy it, you know, exactly the way he had done it. And I'm pretty sure, you know, my end product didn't compare with his, but it, it was a pretty good knockoff. And it wasn't malicious. It wasn't forgery. It wasn't plagiarism. You know, I didn't, I didn't use it as my website and, and call it my own. Uh, I didn't try to, you know, put it out there and act as if it was something that I had done. Uh, it was literally all done uh, in the name of being a lifelong learner. So from there, you know, I, I felt more confident, right? I had built my skills. I had figured something out. And, and so once I had reached that level of confidence, uh, comfort and confidence, I was able to innovate. I was able to do my own thing. So I went on to use Flash, you know, quite a bit at the time, uh, making animations and, um, you know, different, different things. And, you know, that it was actually one of the things that I did when I first started volunteering uh, at the church we were attending. Um, I, I made these little Flash animations for the weekend message series uh, that they had. And looking back, it was funny because that was really one of the first things that I did as a volunteer. Um, and I did it for, you know, a couple of years straight. And it's one of the things that led to, uh, to me coming on staff there at the church. So just interesting how lifelong learning uh, can kind of move you in different directions. So, and then finally, you know, the last piece of that is that there's, there's a chance that somebody saw something that I did and maybe it inspired them, right? Like I have no proof of this. I've never had somebody come up and say, man, I saw that thing you did and it was so cool. So I went and learned how to do it. And now I'm doing this over here. Um, you know, I, I've never had anyone say that to me, but how crazy would it be? You know, five or 10 years from now, someone says, man, I just, I saw what you did back then and I, I really liked it and so it, it inspired me to do something similar. So that's what I'm choosing to believe anyway. <laughs> Maybe deluding myself, but that's what I'm choosing to believe. All right, so let's move into the final section here. Uh, number four, learning isn't just for you. So a huge part of uh, Transcend Human is doing the research and the brain damage necessary to kind of understand the difference between right and wrong, to make decisions for yourself, to come up with a belief system based on, 
you know, the truth that you believe is truth. Uh, and then, you know, based on that understanding, you know, to make decisions ahead of time uh, as to how you're going to act, how you're going to live, and then ultimately have that, you know, help you head in the right direction in life. And one element uh, of this search for truth is, is the ability to self-analyze, right? Asking yourself, why do I do the things I do? And this is really the first step in a, a, a solid self-awareness, and it's what separates us from the animals, right? So animals act or react um, often to stimuli in the, from their environment. Uh, and most of the time, like when you see an animal and you think, oh, the animal is learning or, oh, the animal is smart, it's really nothing more than uh, patterns of behavior that are emerging because there's a positive outcome for the animal or they're learning because they're moving away from a negative uh, outcome. So think about Pavlov and his dogs, the, the uh, age-old experiment that we use in psychology to explain some of this stuff. Um, so Pavlov would ring a bell and he would feed the dogs. And he did this over and over and over again. And eventually, um, what the research showed was that he didn't have to feed the dog in order to get the dog to start salivating. Over time, all he had to do was ring the bell and the dogs would start salivating because they knew what was coming next. So you may think that the dog is smart because of that, but really it's not because the dog is smart. It's just over and over and over again responding to a stimuli in their environment. The, eventually the dog became conditioned to hearing that sound and knowing what was coming next. So the difference for humans is that humans are capable of complex thought, right? The ability to think about or analyze their own behavior. So you can look at it this way. We can think about our thinking. Now let that sink in for a minute. That is kind of the, the single most powerful human ability that separates for us from the animals, right? We have this ability to think about our own thinking. Crazy right? It's, it's what allows us to learn. It's what allows us to change behavior. Uh, it's allow, it's what allows us to choose from a set of options or make decisions before we actually do something without this ability, there would be no transcend human, uh, cause transcend human fully relies on this as a capability that we have. So why is becoming a lifelong learner important? Well, I'm sure there's many reasons, but I'll just boil it down into two. So the first one is um, you're growing as a person, right? Learning, finding purpose, finding meaning, uh, living up to your potential, uh, choosing not to squander your talents and your abilities, the things that you are given as a, as a child, the things you've learned you know, throughout your life. You're putting those things to practice. But second, and possibly more important than even that, is you're doing it for others. Right. So when you think about it, if if you were only learning things to make yourself better and to bring, bring benefit to yourself, how selfish is that? How short sighted is that? How narcissistic? Right. But when we learn new things and develop new talents that benefit those around us, we've truly started to transcend human. So let's land the plane. All right. This this week, I want you to do an inventory of your life. So ask yourself questions like this. When was the last time I learned something new? Uh, was it something only for me? 
or did it benefit others? Uh, if it's been a while, what could I learn this week or in the near future? And what would it take for me to do this new thing, right? Is there, is there a mentor I could enlist to help me learn this thing? Uh, is there somebody I could watch or some group of people or something that, you know, that I could watch and then copy for a while until I'm able to innovate and do my own thing? Uh, I encourage you to develop a plan and make that happen, right? So next time, uh, we're going to dive into a fun discussion on 10 things that force us to confront transcend human in our own lives. Um, a fun little list of, of things. As I, as I look back and think about times in my life when I was really open to the concept of transcend human, you know, there were some pretty specific things going on in my life. And so I wanted to share some of those things next time. So, all right. Uh, until then, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, there's nothing better than word-of-mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.